Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with John G. Miller, the author of numerous books, including QBQ, The Question Behind the Question, Raising Accountable Kids, Flipping the Switch, and Outstanding, 47 Ways to Make Your Organization Exceptional. John is a speaker and writer who teaches about accountability and how we can all take personal accountability for the things that are going on in our lives. John has been studying this stuff and teaching these techniques to thousands of people all over the world for many years. His book, QBQ, has sold over a million copies. We're going to talk about how to handle teenagers who complain, who whine, who won't step up and take responsibility for their own lives. And we are going to dive into strategies parents can use. And we're going to see that the solution actually comes down to the questions you and your teenager are asking in your head about the situation. When you change the questions, you'll get a better response. The QBQ method will show us exactly how to do that and a whole lot more on today's episode. John, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This book here, QBQ, has been around for a while, has sold a ton of copies, is kind of a self, self-development, self especially in business, but for all all areas of life, uh, kind of a classic at this point. So, I mean, how how did this come about? Where did you get this idea for the QBQ and, and, and how did that, you know, turn into this huge thing? Well, thanks for, thanks for asking, Andy. Uh, uh, a classic, I guess, I don't know if... <laughs> I hear the word classic and I think old, but then I think, okay, classic means timeless. And I will timeless, say this, exactly. yep, the, our message yeah. of personal accountability is absolutely timeless. Here's the story. I came out of Cornell in 1980 and joined a big company and worked at a desk for five or six years, didn't really enjoy much. And, and one day a friend said, why don't you get into sales? And I said, oh, whoa, not me. You know, I'm not a salesperson. Well, didn't know I had the God-given ability to sell. And so I ended up getting into sales and started selling leadership and management training in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And for the next 10 years, from 86 to 95, I, I called on thousands of executives, Andy. I ran thousands of uh, workshops on management skills. I was using my mentor's content. I was only in my late 20s. Yeah, and I started listening to the clients, and I started hearing people ask dangerous questions like, uh, when is someone going to support me? And why don't we uh, get better people around here? And, and how, why do we have to go through all this change? And when is that department going to do its job right? And one day, <laughs> 94, I taught a group. I said, hey, let's, let's not ask, uh, why is this happening to me? Let's ask, what can I do to move forward? Let's turn the question around. And I called it the question behind the question. And so I taught it. 
And I came back to that group a couple months later and they were using it. And Andy, if you know anything uh, about the training business, most stuff is never used, but they remembered it. <laughs> in one yep. ear. Right, right. Yep. In one ear, out the other. They remembered it. It stuck with them. And so uh, about 1995, I left my mentor to go off on my own. I started teaching this QBQ thing and wrote my first book in 98. And, and then we came out with QBQ after that. And that's, that's the book that really took off. Uh, mostly because people wanted short books, <laughs> you know, it's about an hour, hour and a quarter read, uh, good content, fun stories, easy reading. And so that's how it all came about. I started speaking on personal accountability and the QBQ message. And here we are all these years later, I get to talk to you. Well, so, I mean, the, the, it's a simple, it's basic on the surface, but mm -hmm. there's a lot involved with QBQs and there's a lot of application, I think. And once you start, once you get into the method um, and learn how it works, then you start seeing, wow, that would apply here. I need to apply that here. This is important here. And you start noticing the questions that are coming up in your head throughout the day and throughout the week and seeing when you can change those. Um, so what is a, Q a QBQ and um, how does it work? Yeah, sure. If you, if you look at the material, and you look at human nature, we tend to ask outwardly focused questions, questions that lead to th three traps, victim thinking, blame, and procrastination. Mm -hmm. So victim thinking would be anything like, why don't they support me more? Why don't I get more help around here? I uh, noticed that question started with a why and it has a poor me tone. Yeah, yeah. The, the blame questions sound like, who made the mistake? Uh, who dropped the ball? Who missed the deadline? Those are the questions where we look for a culprit. We seek culprits. And the third end of question is the when question. When will someone get back to me? When will they give me the support I need? When will somebody tell me what's going on? Uh, that's procrastination. So what we do, right. we look at those three traps, victim thinking, procrastination, and blame. And we take those why and when and who questions. And we say, okay, let's build a better question. And in the QBQ book, as, as you know, in the Raising Accountable uh, Kids book, as you showed earlier, we teach learners to ask the questions that begin with what or how and contain an I and focus on action. So instead of asking, uh, why do we have to go through all this change? We should be asking, what can I do to adapt to the changing world around me? Instead of asking, when will that department do its job right? How about asking, how can I be my best today? So changing the question, here's what it does, Andy. And I'm not a psychologist, but I tell you, you need to be a psychologist to be an effective salesperson. And I've been selling since 86. <laughs> Psychology yep. says when we change our thinking, everything can improve. So instead of being angry because the world isn't supporting me, I could pause and not play victim and say, well, what can I do to move forward today? How can I contribute to the world? And I, I think it's ironically, uh, Andy, we are our different generations. You know, I'm a boomer and you're not. But the, uh, the message yep. of personal accountability is so timely. I think it's fundamental and it's so automatic. Those questions just automatically start popping up in your head and this brings awareness to it, I think, which is so important to start noticing those automatic thoughts that just uh, creep in. And I think, you know, this happens a lot in the family environment, which is where how you have a whole book on it that right. um, I think is great. But so, you know, it sounds simple. Oh, yeah, just take those questions, just replace them with the, <laughs> replace them with one with, that's got the I in there. And um, it begins with a what or how, contains an I, and focuses on action. 
um, I guess, um, can you just explain a little more about um, how that might look or what, uh, you know, what you look for in terms of how to notice a question that, that you're asking that's not helpful sure. and then change it into a QBQ? Sure. What's, what's interesting, Andy, is once, once people learn this material, <laughs> to be honest, initially they start hearing other people asking lousy questions. Well, sure. That's the first step is, right. yeah. Oh man, all these, oh yeah, I know my, I know my friend does this all the time. One of my kids is really needs this, really needs this <laughs> method. Yeah, for sure. Everybody else needs it. So the minute you start hearing or learning that why questions take us to victim thinking and when questions take us to procrastination and who questions take us to blame. And we get really excited over the content. We say, yeah, yeah, we need to get rid of the blame in the world. We need to get rid of the victim thinking. And then we leave that training session or if the family's doing it together, you know, we have products the family can use to teach the kids the QBQ and, and parents to model it. Uh, we start, we go out in the world and we go, whoa, like you say, my friends, my boss, my colleagues, my coaches, my, my peers on my soccer team, they're all asking these IQs. We call them incorrect questions, IQs, why, when, and who. Yeah. But that's where the discipline comes in. And that's the core message of QBQ is everybody needs QBQ, including the author, John Miller. But when we read uh, QBQ and Flipping the Switch, and, and you know, this, is the, this is the sequel, Flipping the Switch. When we read these books, we need to take the dis, uh, discipline ourselves to say, okay, yes, my boss needs this. Yes, my friends need this. Yes, my 16-year-old needs this. But I need it first. In both QBQ right. and what Raising Accountable Kids. Yeah, what can I do to apply this in that relationship? Right. <laughs> yeah. right. We talk about modeling as the most powerful of all teachers. So whether I'm a mom or a dad or a manager at work or even a friend, you know, you can be hanging out with your friends and they can all be whining and bemoaning and complaining about what the world isn't doing for them. And you can say, well, I'm going to ask today, what can I do to improve and how can I be more productive? And you can walk away from the wine fest. You don't have to stay in that circle of victim thinkers. You can, you can break out of it. And even at work, you know, yeah. people go over to the water cooler and they complain about management. You don't need to take part in that. You can walk away and say, well, I'm going to go back to my desk and I'm going to be my best today. So again, QBQ initially Sounds like it's for someone else because everybody else needs accountability, but it's always for me. So you then talk about how there's two myths of accountability. And I thought this was really interesting. The first one is when we believe that it's about holding others accountable, a manager right. in setting standards, helping goals, defining consequences, and coaching people toward agreed upon levels of performance. And I think you know, yeah, you think of accountability. It's like, yeah, if I'm going to work out, I need a personal trainer who can hold me accountable. Uh, <laughs> if I'm going to, you know, try to approve as a manager, I need to get a consultant who can come in and, you know, do some, set me some goals and kind of hold me accountable to those things. But yes. you know, what, what you ultimately, what you point out is that's not, that's not personal accountability. Personal accountability not is really. being able to hold yourself accountable. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let me tell you how I came up with that. I, I sold the management training for 10 years. And I, I probably sat in 10,000 hours of workshops over 10 years with uh, managers of all industries, all levels. I mean, from VPs and CEOs down to frontline supervisors. And I, if I heard this once, I heard it a hundred times, you know, I'm, I'm going to call my people in on Tuesday, John, and I'm going to have a hard meeting with them and tough meeting because I, I'm going to hold them accountable. And don't worry. I, I understand management do need to set standards, coach people to higher levels, confront them when they're off track, and sometimes terminate. But that's not what QBQ is about. QBQ is about 
me as a manager saying, what can I do to be a better coach for my people? What can I do to be a better manager? How can I learn new skills? And then, of course, you're going to hold your people accountable. But first, everything leadership begins with me. Well, yeah, you have a great chapter in this book uh, on the power of one. And, you know, it's really tempting to learn this stuff and start saying we. I think this is big with parents, too. We don't want to make it feel like we're um, singling the kid out and saying, hey, you really need to change. So maybe we kind of try to use some more we inclusive language. You know, we as a family really need to work on this, this and that. So what can we all do to get this, this and that uh, fixed? But that's not that's not a QBQ. Really. That's doesn't have an eye. We's protect. Yeah. So we think in we's. They kind of protect us. It's it's harder to pull aside. Like let me give you some background. We have seven kids, and they range in ages from thirty seven down to twenty one. And uh, Karen and I've been married for forty years, and the three younger ones are all adopted, and so. Parenting adopted children is different than parenting birth children. We won't get into all the details there, but we still were able to apply much of our parenting beliefs. Uh, the, you know, the parent is in charge. Too many homes today, you've got child in charge instead of the parent in charge. Uh, yes, feelings are important, but it's not all about the child's feelings. That's like a new mantra of young parents today. And so we end up explaining and talking endlessly with our children instead of just telling the six-year-old stop doing that now so we've got a lot of experience with parenting and and we've evolved parenting has changed but in the end good parenting is one-on-one you're going to deal with tara differently than Kristen. you're going to deal with Kristen differently than michael now you're going to have overall family parenting philosophy and culture absolutely but you don't you don't gather a family meeting and ball out the all seven kids just because Michael, the only son, is is acting out or something. So you've got to work with kids one on one. Of course, you knew that before I got here. Parenting is is individual and yet it's group. So you got to make sure you're not hiding behind the we. You know, you're mad at one child and you call everybody together and say we need to change things around here. Yep. Uh, well, wait a minute. Who, who's one? Who's acting out? Who misbehaved? Just go talk to that child. Anyway, parenting. Yeah. Is so critical. You know, probably 80, 85% of people have kids. So when I go out and teach QBQ and my daughter, Kristen, just so you know, she's uh, the, the oldest, she's 37 now. She goes around the country uh, teaching QBQ. And what we find is people will come up and they'll go, oh, I can, I can use this at home with my family. I got to get rid of the blaming, the whining, the victim thinking, the procrastination. Like just take the procrastination piece, Andy. As we say in the Raising Accountable Kids book, uh, really effective parents deal with most stuff now. Now, once in a while, there's a reason to not deal with something today. Mm. Maybe your emotions are inflamed and it's it's the wrong day to deal Uh, with something. But parents don't let molehills become mountains. They deal with stuff when they see it. That principle applies with managers. You've got an employee who's late to work, talk to them the first time, not the ninth time. So you've got a child who's being disrespectful. You don't let it go and go and go. You deal with it early on. So you've got to deal with stuff now. So that's, that's the opposite of procrastination. So the QBQ is all about what can I do to address my children's behavior right this minute? Not, you know, oh, 
I'm not going to hide from it or hide behind the Wii or run away from it. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this now. That's accountable parenting. got a great story in this book, Raising Accountable Kids, about someone named Sherry who did some personal accountability QBQ training uh, at the office. And so she learned all about QBQs at work and how it worked. Uh, and so then she went home and she said, hey, wow, this would apply to my relationship with my daughter as well. So she went home and said, you know, said to her daughter, well, how can I be a better mom for you right now? Which is a powerful question, I think. A very powerful and, uh, question. Then you said, it lead it led to a really deep conversation. So how what why why was that the right question to ask? And um how did that change their relationship? Well, as I recall, Sherry was a single mom. That's a tough job. We all know that. She worked all day. She comes home. Uh, the eleven year old is not doing her homework or the eleven year old is doing this or that. And Sherry as she told me the story, she said an argument began. And, you know, at some point, because Sherry had just heard and learned about the QBQ, she arrested her own thinking and she kind of said, wait a minute, to herself, I got, I got to ask a question, what was that QBQ? Oh, wait a minute. Uh, hey, how can I be a better mom for you? And what came out was the child said, you know, stop criticizing my friends and stop doing this and that, please just listen to me. And, and so because Sherry paused and um, Andy, I don't know your background, but you see, in some homes, there's yelling. Yelling happens, right? And as long as the parent is yelling, there's probably not much communication going on. I never said there's no time to raise your voice as a parent. <laughs> I never said that. Sometimes you got to raise your voice and we all have done that. Sure. But if you're yelling at your 11-year-old, you're probably not communicating. So Sherry just arrested her thoughts, shut her mouth, paused, and then asked the question, how can I be a better mom? And that just changed everything. And they had a great talk and Sherry, the mom, came away with better understanding of her 11-year-old. I mean, I wasn't there, but I bet it was a very good moment. Yeah. They said she was really surprised by that answer, too, um, that she could stop, dis stop dissing my friends all the time. And it makes her think, wow, have I been critical of my daughter? I guess maybe, uh, what, what, what do you mean by that? How? <laughs> Let's talk about that further, uh, where you never would have uncovered any of that if you would have just gone into... Why aren't you doing your homework? What's, what's wrong with you? How like bad questions? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, those kinds of questions just push people away. Um, it's true that we don't, uh, communication is not about being understood. Communication is about understanding the other person. Yeah. And so until we pause and ask these good questions, it's pretty hard to understand the other person. And you know, it's funny in my family with all the kids, of course, we've had QBQ around all the years that the kids have been raised. Sometimes, you know, if, if I, acting out as a dad or I'm whining about something, my kids will say, hey, wait a minute, dad, isn't there a QBQ here for you to ask? Shouldn't you be asking a better question right now? Yep. And of course, my daughter, the 37-year-old who works with me and teaches QBQ, if I ever start to border on any blaming or whining, she'll text me and say, QBQ. <laughs> she'll, she'll remind me. See, life is a journey, as you know, Andy, and we're, we're still growing. I put a blog at qbq.com just the other day. That the key question is, am I growing up? I mean, I'm 62 and I'm still not grown up because I still fall into these childlike habits of wanting to complain or whine or point fingers because it's human. So what the QBQ does for me 
is it's a tool I keep handy. So on this day, when I'm frustrated, angry, disappointed, or hurt, I can pause and say, wait a minute, what can I do to let go of this? How can I move forward today? Those are QBQs. That's personal accountability. And that's what this message is all about. We're here with John G. Miller talking about how to get your teenager to take more responsibility. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Stop using so many words. Put a period on the end of the sentence. A lot of this comes down to what we see today is the fear of discipline. The confrontation. Yeah, the fear of confrontation, the fear of discipline, the fear of being tough on your child, fear of tough love. The 16-year-old was blown Spanish, not doing his homework, not trying, but he wanted that license. And she basically said, you're not getting your license, even if it helps the mom so he could go pick up little sister dance class. See, a lot of parents just give in because it's convenient for them, but that's not strong parenting. That's weak parenting. Yep. Well, I need my son to get his license so he can go to the grocery store for me and pick up little Susie at the uh, dance class. Well, wait a minute. Is, is your son doing the right things? Is he earning the privilege to drive a 2,000 pound vehicle on the highway? Is he smart and safe and respectable and disciplined and cautious and all the good things we need in drivers? Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.